This is CASA's vaccine engagement series where we invite experts and community workers and volunteers across Canada to weigh in on COVID-19 related issues and topics. For this episode, we are joined by Zoha Qureshi to discuss pandemic fatigue in the South Asian community. Hi everyone, this is Nimra and I am going to be your host for today. I am the project associate for the vaccine engagement team at CASA. As we know, starting June 2021, the province of Ontario started to move towards opening and lifting COVID-19 measures. And by the end of 2021, we were hearing that if everything goes well and the spikes of COVID-19 cases are steady and in control, then we would most likely completely open in March 2022 without any pandemic restrictions. However, at the end of November 2021, we heard that the Omicron virus was discovered in Canada and in the province of Ontario. Due to this, we saw a surge in COVID-19 cases, the government started putting restrictions back into effect, people had to get their booster doses, and around the same time, we were introduced with children's vaccines. Once again, work hours were being cut and people started losing their jobs. The hope people had for things to get back to quote-unquote normal suddenly changed into fear, anxiety and stress and increased fatigue. There are many causes to pandemic fatigue in the South Asian community, which includes barriers that have been escalated during the pandemic. These are uncertain times that have left all of us frustrated and annoyed. Today, I have Zoha Qureshi joining me to discuss and reflect on the issue of pandemic fatigue. Zoha is a youth from the South Asian community and has been working in the community as a community health ambassador with Health Access Thorncliffe Park since the beginning of the pandemic. Health Access Thorncliffe Park has been working with the local agencies like the Neighborhood Office and Flemington Health Center as well as Michael Guerin Hospital to support the Thorncliffe and Flemington Park pandemic response such as vaccine clinics. Zoha helped facilitate some of the pop-up clinics over the summer and more recently she's been assisting with the community forums where she works with her team to invite a Michael Guerin Hospital doctor to address the community's vaccine concerns and questions. She also works with a more school-based forum which includes local school principals and TDSB trustees to address parents' school-related concerns as things continue to evolve through out the pandemic. Zoha would be talking about things she's noticed through this work in the community. Welcome Zoha. With the start of the pandemic and it's continuously being stressed due to the COVID-19 variants and multiple surges in COVID cases, fatigue and mental health have become a significant issue. Zoha, I'd like to ask you, from your work in the South Asian community, how are people feeling right now in the South Asian community and in the community you are specifically serving? And what have you noticed in terms of people's, um, people experiencing fatigue? Yeah, so I think much like most others, there is definitely a strong desire to go back to quote unquote normal. Um, in communities like mine, like Longwood Park, which are highly dense immigrant communities, um, the fact of being cooped up with a lot of people at home has been on top of other factors that are affecting everyone else has just been um, an added source of stress and fatigue. Um, 
and other factors contributing to that have definitely been issues with um, disruptions to schooling and struggles with work and stability with income. I think those have definitely been some of the major drivers of, of stress and fatigue. Do you know how people are coping with some of these issues right now and trying to keep sane um, during these uncertain times? Yeah, so I think a lot of people um, turn to things like new hobbies and whatnot. Um, we saw that kind of across the board. Uh, people have been able to go out and enjoy nature, um, but that kind of also becomes an issue when you live in an area where you don't necessarily have access to green space or open space. So that can be a bit of a challenge. Or um, if you don't necessarily have the time to go out and kind of take a break from your household, if you are someone who is uh, has the stress of providing for your household all the time, you need to be working, um, your only time out of the house might be restricted to uh, to work. So it looks different. Coping looks different for different people. Um, for some people, they've had to adapt to kind of communicating in new ways with their loved ones, especially if we were talking about elders, for example, who maybe weren't used to using a lot of tech before uh, the pandemic and restrictions came in. But now a lot more people have kind of adapted to connecting through virtual means. Have you like noticed a difference in mental health, um, in pandemic fatigue or mental issues and challenges when it comes to different age groups and gender populations? Like for example, have you noticed that maybe mothers seem to experience more pandemic fatigue than maybe their children do? Is there a trend there? I'm not sure if I can say who is experiencing more fatigue, but definitely I can say there, there would be differences between the experiences of these different groups. So for mothers, for example, um, definitely having to now take care of often multiple kids for a way more extended period of time, pretty much all the time is a very heavy burden. Whereas, you know, with uh, a normal schooling periods, they would have been able to have like a good seven. Uh, and this is, of course, for mothers who are, are staying at home. Um, they would have had a good chunk of schooling time to to work on other things, to have their own time. But now with uh, the large chunk of the pandemic where we had kids at home all the time um, was definitely uh, an added stress for or mothers or both parents, whoever was at home. Um, and then conversely, uh, I guess looking at the other parents, um, uh, unless you know, you're know you in a situation where both parents are working, uh, the parents who are working, if you're in a, an essential worker, there would have been concerns about your health and safety. Can I keep working? Um, should I keep putting myself in, in, in danger basically? Um, is it safe enough, but you know, I need to pay bills. So that kind of dilemma and having to deal with that um, continuously pretty much for two years is a major source of stress. So that might not necessarily be the kind of stress that um, the younger children are, <clears throat> the younger children are experiencing, um, but still stress nonetheless. Uh, and then with children and, um, and even youth, I think a lot of their 
um, stress and fatigue with the pandemic and desire to just go back to how things were relates mostly around school and interacting with their peers and friends. Um, as children and youth, like majority of your day for, for most people is spent at school. It's not just about your learning, it's about talking to literally just any other person, right? It doesn't have to be your friend. Um, so a lot of that was really reduced over these past two years. Um, and that can definitely create a sense of isolation for a lot of youth. So I think um, that might've been kind of an area where youth versus um, adults might've deferred in the kind of stress that they were experiencing. Um, but definitely different groups experiencing stress in their own kind of way, not necessarily one experiencing more than others. Thank you so much for sharing that, Zoha. I completely agree that fatigue is different for every uh, individual. And yes, communication has been hard. Um, income security, health safety are all issues that lead people to feeling um, pandemic fatigue. We already saw a lot of hesitancy uh, for COVID-19 vaccines in the South Asian community when they were first introduced. Just like that, we have seen a lot of hesitancy for booster shots. People are very confused on why they need a booster dose, why the vaccine effectiveness uh, goes away, and many even question whether there will be more vaccine doses after this booster dose. People are also getting more hesitant to get their children vaccinated as because of these booster doses coming after their initial vaccines. What are some things you have noticed, Soha, about the community when it comes to vaccine engagement, whether it's for booster shots or vaccinating children? So I think um, throughout the pandemic, when we've noticed vaccine hesitancy, it's often been rooted in distrust in health organizations or in the government overall. Um, and I think this distrust stems from when people, um, people of color or immigrants have had really negative experiences with the healthcare system. So not getting treated right, not being, uh, feeling like they're being heard properly. So these kind of experiences really cause a sense of distrust in these healthcare systems. Um, and so when you're not trusting these systems, you're not trusting your government, which, you know, when you see changes in, in mandates and people aren't able to wrap their head around the fact that, you know, science is changing and so policies will change, all of this distrust will cause people or, or has caused people to turn to sources that they feel can be more trusted. So that would be things like um, even as simple as WhatsApp or Facebook, groups where there are people who are talking in their language, who are coming from their own experiences. You know, these are people they, they share things with and they feel like they can trust. So when they are getting misinformation about, uh, you know, the vaccine being unsafe, the vaccine causing infertility in children, you know, if these are your quote unquote trusted sources and you feel like these are the sources that you can rely on, You'll likely internalize this misinformation and disregard other more reliable information that becomes available. Um, and, and then even when 
resources do become available to you in a more clear way, for example, maybe they're being translated in your language, if that distrust has already been established, um, you might not want to turn to those resources at that point. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on this, Soha. Um, I just have a question. Why has distrust been a permanent future in the pandemic for the South Asian community? Yeah, so, you know, when I you have had this distrust kind of ingrained in you, um, it, I think it's definitely not easy to overcome, especially when you throw science into the mix. If it's, it's another component that you're not able to fully grasp, um, I think it's very difficult for you to be motivated in any way to actually now turn to these resources um, or, or to turn to this information in a positive light if you already had a long-standing distrust in the information you were being given. And I think uh, why we see that it's kind of ongoing is I've heard from some people in the community when they had they had really negative experiences um, specific to um, getting the vaccine. When they had questions about the vaccine and were hesitant, I think they often interacted with um, people or healthcare uh, healthcare workers who kind of looked down on them for having these questions or for not understanding. Um, or when they had questions, they had taken their first or second doses, but were having um, really bad side effects and were concerned for their own health. Same kind of thing when it, some of them did not receive um, positive support from the, the healthcare workers that they were turning to. Uh, of course, this is not the situation for, um, for most healthcare workers, but there are a select few cases where that interaction happened and now this person is walking away thinking, you know, they couldn't even answer my question. Why should I be getting this booster? And now this person is very widely connected in the community and they're going to be sharing this experience with everyone else. And, you know, they're going to be saying, well, so-and-so, um, they're not getting their booster because this is what happened. Their doctor was telling them this and this. And so we just have this really quick spread of, um, of misinformation and, and the distress kind of grows even from one interaction that is is negative thank you for sharing that zoha um i can personally relate with that um myself too there the distrust that comes with negative experiences is something that does build on and can create a lot of challenges um when it comes to addressing distrust in the south asian community for the healthcare system and the government itself what work has been done and what what work have you been a part of as a youth um youth volunteer and youth ambassador um that's providing services for uh, the south asian community during the pandemic so um I've been working with organizations like Health Access Thorncliffe Park, um, which serve a number of communities in, um, the, in, in the East. And they are partnered with Michael Guerin Hospital, who also, again, focuses on the East of Toronto. Um, so I'll speak to my experience with them. And they have um, really focused on trying to figure out what are the concerns of people that are not getting vaccinated? And so 
one way I was involved in that was during this past summer uh, when we had a lot of um, big major vaccine clinics and major vaccine efforts. Um, I helped host like a series of workshops where um, they were like a women's forum. So they were closed to just women so that to, to help make women feel comfortable. And we just wanted to hear their concerns about fertility, about pregnancies, about their children. We let them um, speak their mind. There was no judgment. Um, and then these concerns were then taken back to Health Access Thorncliffe Park, who they uh, actually have the capacity to then address some of these concerns, um, actually establish services that will support, you know, does X person need a phone call for them to be supported throughout the process of getting vaccinated? Do they need a follow-up phone call to have more of their questions answered? Um, and on top of that, these uh, this group was also, you know, their concerns were also taken to Michael Guerin Hospital. And so they have a better understanding of what it is their community needs. So that then translated in different ways where at certain clinics, there were certain staff available to support different groups of people. So I think from the organizations I've been involved in, it was a lot of let's go into the community, let's hear what they, they need, let's hear their concerns, and then, okay, let's translate this uh, into different kinds of supports at our clinics, different kinds of follow-up, so whether that's email follow-up, whether that's phone call, whether that's making ourselves as, and by ourselves I'm referring to like the other um, community health workers, um, let's make ourselves accessible through WhatsApp, which we know is like an easy means of communications for a lot of people in our community. Um, and we've also had, I've also been involved in what we have called a back to school forum. Um, it's kind of uh, been really extended past the typical back to school um, period, which is September. And that's because we've had so many periods of um, going home, then back uh, so online and then back in person. So every time we've had those changes, um, we've run these back to school forums. So at this point, they've kind of been running throughout the entire academic year. But these kinds of forums um, basically open up the floor to parents who have, you know, as I mentioned, schooling is a big, big concern, especially when you have a lot of kids in school. Um, so parents are able to come. And again, it's and a space for them to just uh, have their voices heard. Um, and the forum includes local principals. So it's very local, you know, this isn't, their questions aren't just going into the void. They're actually going to the principals and the trustees of their school. And another important piece of those is that we have um, a doctor, Dr. Janine McCready um, on board these calls. And she is someone who is an example of a very trusted healthcare worker. So she has, throughout the pandemic, um, made herself present um, amongst the communities that she's serving in the East, which includes like my community, like Northwest Park. And so, you know, we had talked about distrust. So when there are these kinds of healthcare workers who are putting in the time and effort to actually get to know their communities, then we do have a sense of trust being built. And then when we have someone like her presenting information on, for example, when the children's vaccines came out, she hosted 
um, a, a forum for the children's vaccine. And right off the bat with that, we were able to answer or, or she was able to answer um, so many of the concerns regarding children's vaccine that were coming directly from our community. And so that's kind of like a, a positive, it had kind of a positive um, feedback effect, I guess you could say. So anyone who attended that forum, for example, would now be sharing this kind of positive experience and um, the positive answers that they had got. Um, so all in all, when these kinds of organizations are really taking the time to hear from their communities and then address those concerns directly, rather than throwing resources at them without knowing what's really needed, that's been the biggest um, cause of kind of positive change and seeing better vaccine engagement in these communities. Thank you for sharing that, Soha. Um, I completely agree that making yourself available or making having organizations be available to answer questions and listen to people is really important when addressing vaccine hesitancy and um, looking at pandemic fatigue. However, while us organizations uh, try to make ourselves available, try to address concerns and build up trust in this community, how has how have vaccine mandates played a role um, when it comes to the South Asian community and um, fear and pandemic fatigue and vaccine hesitancy? Yeah, so there's definitely a sense of, you know, okay, why do we need this again? Like, why are we doing this again when this has happened multiple times? And so this kind of goes back to, um, understanding again like the basis of why these things are being implemented and that can sometimes include trying to grasp the science behind things which is not really um it's not accessible for everyone to be able to understand a lot of the detailed science behind some of these policies um and not everyone is interested in that either so I think that's one of the things that community organizations want to kind of work on addressing is making things like science more accessible and easily understood because it is an important piece in truly understanding why these things are necessary. And, you know, if you're not understanding um, why something is needed, you're not really going to be inclined to just accept it off of the bat without understanding why it needs to be there in the first place. So myself as a science student, I, I haven't really struggled to understand some of the, uh, the mandates that were put in place, but I know, and it's not just limited to older people, even amongst youth, there is kind of this like academic background that's linked to, um, some of the changes which is not again it's not really uh it's not a way a good way of being transparent with these changes and when there isn't transparency again that leads to like this ongoing cycle of distrust um so i would say how this is played out um on, on i guess a more individual level for some of the people in these communities is for example people who need to work and their work is being disrupted um so that's another factor where even if you do maybe understand why a mandate might be needed, at the end of the day, you kind of just wish it would 
be wrapped up. You wish things would kind of progress faster. You wish these policies would be a little bit more loose because you are struggling to work and make a basic income to support your family. So it's not the, the, the issues that people are having with accepting mandates are not only based in a misunderstanding of, of um, the reasoning behind them. It also has to do with very pressing, urgent concerns like, you know what, I can't work enough hours to cover my bills and having a roof over my head is the main concern for me. Uh, if it means I have to go risk my health to work, then so be it. So it's definitely kind of a nuanced experience for different people as to why the mandate has been a source of stress and fatigue for them. So Zoha, you mentioned a lot about um, distrust and challenges with the mandate. How has your role um, helped dismantle the distrust that the mandates have caused? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing has been, as we are seeing these ongoing changes for organizations like mine, like Health Access Duncliffe Park, to then follow up with the same kind of ongoing support. So I mentioned earlier, some of the forums we had where we're hearing people's concerns. These are not forums where we just introduce them when we have a new vaccine. These forums have been ongoing whenever there are major changes to uh, vaccine mandates, when there are new vaccines themselves being introduced or new, um, you know, new timeframes for people or new age groups. Anytime we've seen these major changes, there has been the follow-up from the community organizations and to keep that support going, you know, we're still here, we're still hearing your questions and same thing with the back to school forums. There have been a lot of changes with school. So we didn't just connect you guys as, as in the, the community parents, students. We're not connecting you to uh, principals just in the beginning of the year. We are with you every step of the way whenever there is any change that you guys need to be hearing of, whenever we need to tell your trustees who essentially, you know, they are supposed to be representing communities uh, if those trustees aren't even going to be hearing directly from their community, we're not going to be able to address the issues um, the parents are concerned about, right? So as organizations like HATP, um, HATP, bridging those, um, those groups and making sure those conversations are ongoing and being heard by the people they need to be heard by. Um, so I think the ongoing continuous support is the biggest factor in community health organizations showing their um, the communities they serve that they are still very much involved as much as this has been an ongoing process that feels like it's being dragged out. We are here with you and we are still willing to give you the support that you need. Um, and it's been accessible, not just through these forums, um, the different websites or Websites are not really the go-to for a lot of people, um, especially for you know, a lot of immigrant communities where there might be people who don't have um, technological literacy. So it's, you know, there has been an effort to make sure you know, these things are available on a door-to-door -door basis. There have been other community health ambassadors that actually have been going door-to-door -door when there have been uh, a new, uh, there's been a new burst in vaccine 
um, efforts, a new vaccine clinic, for example, there have been people who go door to door. Um, we've also had vaccine clinics right in people's buildings lobbies. So there is very much a sense of we are your community's organization. We are here to support you. We will come to you and we will keep doing this for as long as we need to. Um, that's the biggest sense that I've got from uh, my my peers in these organizations. And, and that's the uh, what I've been involved in, basically. Thank you for talking about that, Zoha, um, being available for the community and providing education in a way that is um, literate for every individual is really important. That's one thing that CASA does as well, being there for the community and providing resources, not, not just as information that just needs to be provided for the sake of, but actually making sure that people are able to understand it and people are able to actually gain some help from it is extremely important. So now moving on, Zoha, what are some services you know of that are being provided in the community to help with pandemic fatigue? Mm -hmm. So um, as we've discussed, pandemic fatigue can include things like um, financial instability, which then also ties to food insecurity. So those are actually areas where organizations like TNO, um, FHC in, in Flemington Park, uh, and kind of uh, at a larger scale, Michael Guerin, all of these are kind of focused on the East and I'm sure there are similar organizations elsewhere throughout Toronto, but these organizations are aware that, okay, financial instability and food insecurity are big concerns. So there has been, TNO for example, has a major food bank in the Thorncliffe Park hub. Um, so there is direct support available in that sense. There is also supports available with um, income stability and also um, with that comes hand in hand the federal supports that are available. So, for example, earlier in the pandemic, we had the um, CERB support available. So even making sure that these kinds of financial supports, like, yes, they're there, but not everyone is able to understand the application process or follow through with it, um, uh, you know, in, a, in an easy way and actually get access to these resources. So organizations like TNO and Health Access Thornclaw Park have also been following up with individuals to make sure if they are eligible for certain supports, they are going to get through their application to make sure they get those kinds of supports. Um, the details about accessing all of these things are definitely very clearly laid out on the organizational websites for each of these organizations. Um, I've also talked about, you know, COVID-19 science and, and the information about uh, vaccine delivery and all that needing to be accessible. So these organizations also work on translating. So they have translations available on their websites. Um, all of those kinds of resources are readily available. Thank you for sharing that, Zoha. Um, I really like how support for food security, income security, and actually support for helping people apply for benefits that they might not be able to apply on their own or might not understand how to is available. Um, what are some services that are still needed in the South Asian community to help them cope with the pandemic, help them with pandemic fatigue, and just help them move on forward um, during these uncertain times? So 
one area where um, even outside of the pandemic, this is an area that has always needed more support. So this uh, has been exacerbated, I guess, by the, the, the issues of the pandemic would be mental health supports. So all of those organizations I mentioned do definitely have, um, you know, you can find they have links to different kinds of um, mental health resources to support individuals who are, whether that's, you know, feeling isolated or any kind of um, mental health struggle that they are experiencing at home. But, you know, uh, mental health is a very broad area. It includes a lot of different nuanced experiences. So, <clears throat> And it's definitely something where we need a lot of hands at work addressing mental health issues in a kind of a more niche way. So for example, TNO um, has linked uh, under their, at least on their website, on their mental health resources has linked certain city of Toronto resources. Um, but I think it should be made known that there are kind of more, uh, community-based or more culturally sensitive uh, resources as well. For example, um, Nasiha Mental Health, they provide support that's kind of specific to um, Muslim youth. Um, and there are certain organizations that provide support for South Asian youth in particular. Um, and so if those kind of organizations are not being widely shared within communities, it's there's kind of a barrier there in accessing um, so as a South Asian youth, for example, you might not want to turn to the generic city of Toronto resources. You might need some guidance in turning to uh, resources and people who kind of actually relate and understand your experiences at a much deeper level. Um, because the experiences of South Asian um, people, youth are not gonna be the same as um, people in other communities, for example. So. It's not to say that resources, mental health resources that are specific to South Asian people don't exist. Um, they just need, I would say, more, um, more outreach and they need to be made uh, more well known amongst the communities that actually need them. How have you been advocating for the South Asian community and making sure they're able to get these um, culturally appropriate um, services during the pandemic? So outside of my work from uh, uh, working as a community health ambassador with Health Access Thornclyffe Park, I'm actually involved um, in another organization, again, at a community level where it's um, community youth working to serve the, the youth of their community. Um, it's called Wellness Cafe, um, the, or the Mental Health and Wellness Cafe. Uh, and this is the kind of organization, and I'm sure there are others that are serving their own niche communities. Um, this kind of organization helps share some of the resources and um, that are available to South Asian youth in particular. And we, have kind of been trying to use our platform. You know, we've shifted to um, online uh, platforms of discussion and whatnot, whereas in the past we were able to have kind of in-person conversations and um, supports around these issues. Um, but we have also had to adapt and make sure that we are now as an organization getting our information and our conversations 
for South Asian youth and their experiences. We're making sure that we have also translated to um, a platform that is actually accessible during these times. So that's one way that my work through uh, the Mental Health and Wellness Cafe is one way that I've been kind of combining my experiences as uh, a health ambassador and also uh, a South Asian youth myself who wants to make sure that youth in the community um, have other youth they can reach out to with questions, concerns. Um, we on our social media platforms, for example, also try to share as much relevant information and resources as we can. So that would be my specific role within the community of trying to combat these issues. And I do try my best to make these kinds of resources um, more widely known. And hopefully this kind of information sharing, um, especially coming from other youth, feels accessible to other youth and then is then kind of shared more widely amongst different circles. And we kind of have like a snowball effect where people just become better connected with others that they feel they can trust and turn to. Thank you so much, Soha, for taking out the time to speak with us today and sharing your experiences and work in the South Asian community. We talked about some amazing points when it comes to pandemic fatigue and how it differs for every individual depending on their needs, circumstances, and even the amount of mistrust they might have in the healthcare system and government due to past experiences and some experiences they still face and how these experiences have escalated fatigue in the overall community. I also like how you work to um, provide resources that are literate for everyone they are meant to help. This is one thing we also focus on at CASA as well and will continue to do so. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.